Hey, Jamie, I've got a question for you. What do you want, Tom? Who's on the podcast this coming Friday? Oh, is it someone big? Boy. Is uh, it a big one? Shall I bother listening this week? Yeah. If I was going to say uh, take. And I would say off no, your trousers. No, no. Take. Me out. No, take. Paddy McGuinness. No, take. Take on me. Take that. Wow. Have a little patience. But hang on, presumably you've only, you haven't got all three of them, have you? Presumably you've just got one of them. Buddy, we have all three of them on the podcast. They've released a new album. It's coming out. They're going on tour. They talk about the ups, the downs, the lefts, the rights, on everything that happened in Take the That. The ins, the outs. And they reveal it all this Friday. Exclusively. On Private Parts. That's a big one. I'm going to listen to that. Excited. <laughs> the roles have reversed. Yeah, hang on a second. You're like asking me questions. This is. <laughs> right, I'm about to open you the fuck up. <laughs> well, I've interviewed Four. you how many times, Reggie? <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. I thought it was a good question to ask you because I genuinely don't know the answer. Have we started this and you're already trying to interview? <laughs> Imagine that. You started this podcast, he's already on it. I love it. No, no, but I've, but I've interviewed you so many times. It's me. nice You've that been, you're asking me questions. You have. It is an odd feeling because you have been very present for quite um, momentous <laughs> parts of my career. Honestly, right. you've been really? there. Yeah, wow. you interviewed. You were on the phone to me as Down with the Trumpets charted for the first time into yeah. the top 20 or maybe it was 22, I think. I can't remember. But it was somewhere near in, and we did a little thing in Brit school. Yeah. It was dope. And... Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Any, yeah, any grunts you hear on this recording, by the way, I just just record is my dog Spike. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a few times, mate. And also, most recently, you you, inter- you interviewed me on your podcast, yeah. uh, which if you aren't really subscribing to, you should subscribe to Thank uh, you. the Reggie Yates podcast. And the response has been mad. Yeah, and it's been and it's, it's quite a bizarre feeling for me because I remember very very consciously feeling like it was quite weird. <laughs> like, no, because because like sometimes I feel like I don't have a filter. Right, and you know you asked me like very open a couple of open ended questions, and I feel like it, it was like a bit of Pandora's box kind of thing. I love that though. I mean, I, I think that's part of the reason that the the show is doing okay I guess because it's me and a group of pals and nothing is off limits and yeah. um, you get a lot of people say that about their shows and about you know we, we make the podcast where anything's okay to talk about <laughs> uh, genuinely that's the idea and the nice thing about having guests on which we don't do very often right um, normally the show is just me and my mates chatting oh, okay. uh, and we only get people on that we like oh, or nice. that we find interesting we can't stand you, but we find you interesting, <laughs> which is why we had you on. <laughs> it? I rate that. I rate that. No, because you're because you're a nice guy. You've got a lot to say, and you're also doing some incredible work with I'm Whole. I was so excited Thanks. to have you on, and um, the reaction to me was huge. People saying, "Oh my god, he's amazing! Where can we find out more, etc." Oh great! And I'm really glad that that actually came through to you as well. Yeah, nice. No, honestly, and to an audience that I would, uh, you know, that I, I wasn't. 
I hadn't had access to at that point. Um, you know, you forget people have observed me at, at different stages in my life. Some people were aware of things I've done. Some people remember me as a little hmm. teeny bopper and that. Um, I love that phrase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, Such a visual. I don't know, teeny visual bopper, label. I don't know. But yeah, as like an 18-year-old, I was running around like like completely, like ADHD just, was just on full 100%. When it, my diet was awful. Like right. My sugar levels were just up and down like a yo-yo. But you're in such a lovely place right now. A lovely space, should I say. It's just amazing to I'm doing this. better. I am doing better. But this podcast is about you. So I want to say thank you very much for, for, for reversing, <laughs> for, you know, doing exchange. Yeah. Um, because we haven't been going as long as your podcast, I don't think. Um, and it's fantastic for us to have a guest of your stature. Oh, wow. And okay. uh, very much the inspiration to me. You know, sometimes I play it down, but like, you know, you're, you know, you're a GH, so it's blessed. Um, <laughs> firstly, I want to shout out to anyone wearing a hat. <laughs> Yeah, we're in an exclusive club on camera of two <laughs> at the minute. <laughs> so yeah, welcome to the VIP. Yo, it's just, that's the ish right there. I mean, have you done many podcasts when you're being interviewed? Uh, yeah, a few. Um, and it's always weird because, well, I think the closest thing to making a podcast for me uh, out of all the things that I do is my documentaries. Mm. Because in the shooting at least, not so much in the final edit, but uh, I'm sure you know this, when you're making a documentary, you're making anything factual, you just go, you just have these conversations, you don't have questions, you're just interested in the subject matter and you sit with someone and you talk unfiltered and that then gets cut down into what ends up as the final film. Right. Those unfiltered long conversations, uh, long form conversations, should I say, are what make up the podcast and it's really, really nice. Um. Um, So uh, going on other people's shows, it's weird being given the opportunity to talk non-stop and continuous about yourself yeah because i don't do it anywhere else and i don't really like doing it i don't know if i don't if i dislike I was, it I had it's just weird it's weird it's not that, not because i'm guarded or sheltered in any way i think the default for us as brits is to be overly humble and yeah. you're very aware when you might be veering into showing off as a brit and as a Ghanaian as well you know my mother and father were born in ghana and i was raised in a very strict Ghanaian household it's similar in terms of the culture, which is that you don't show off, you don't talk about yourself too much, you don't say, uh, you don't say too much, uh, you sort of hold everything down. So between the Ghanaian culture and British culture, I find it quite unnatural to talk at length about myself. Yeah. Um, which is why I found therapy difficult to begin with, because it's kind of like talk. So like I talk, like so you find it difficult. In total, so there wasn't even like an intersection between like humility and emotional expression. It was just a total close down. Well, it's not not even a shutdown at all. There, there definitely is a middle ground, but at the same time, um, it's just that thing of being aware. Like, oh, am I saying too much about myself? Oh, am I bigging myself up too? Oh, much? not or occupying I... too much space. Kinda. So, being low maintenance was as seen as a, as a. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Like I am. Um... When I started doing my, my podcast, I remember talking to a friend uh, about the show and she was saying, oh, yeah, this person on the show talks too much. I was like, what do you mean? Um, and she said, well, you know, if you had a color chart of the voices, there would be just one color dominating it. Oh. And I was like, oh, God, yeah. And I don't want to be a color chart. I don't want to be that dominating color in any conversation. I'd like to be the bit that comes in and out but makes the picture beautiful, if that makes sense. So wait, hold on. Explain that again. Your friend said to you that she felt as though you would never want to be a dominant color in a conversation. Yeah, is that subjective? Um, I guess. What would everything be considered? Is. So, 
So you're you're looking you're looking at I quite like that image actually. Okay, so if you're looking at a conversation as like as you're like painting, Mm -hmm. and you just don't want to add too many brush strokes of one color of one color. Yeah, this conversation ideally will be red, yellow, red, yellow, red, yellow, red, yellow. Um, even though That's it's about those two com- colors don't complement, <laughs> but, you know I mean. but you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. For the home and away for an Arsenal fan, but <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, true. That's what I my that. that's why my brain oh, went straight away. Blue, yeah, okay. um, so it's yeah, radio, 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 radio. Um, you'd want it to be a bit of both. You don't yeah, want it to yeah, be just yeah. red and then a little bit of yellow and then red. I, that's not a conversation to me. Think I'm in love with a singer, yeah, but I want to get richer. Life threw me a bag of lemons. No wonder I'm bitter. You, you feel as though there's a um, a pressure from not only your British heritage but your Ghanaian heritage to not take up too much space. Yeah, to be humble, really. See, I think those are two different things. That's what I was saying about an intersection. Like, humility and modesty I, I'm all here for. Mm. And I think that playing down maybe achievements I can kind of see mm. but not occupying space is oh yeah like no, no. minimizing your okay. your because there's a like for example I'm someone who will often apologize too much or I, or else or I'll begin a sentence by making playing down an achievement yeah and a lot of people do that I've noticed I yeah, actually saw a video about it yeah so it's kind of like when actually there shouldn't be really shouldn't be a shame especially around people who you love Mm. and just being like I feel great about what I've done yeah I've always struggled with that well it's finding a balance isn't it and I'm still a work in progress in terms of that uh striking that balance of talking openly about the things that I've done and that I feel that I've done well and being aware of being a bit too loud about some of your achievements or some of the things that people might put you on a pedestal for so yeah, it's just just being aware, and um, I think given the lane that I'm in now, that's uh, tough, man. Yeah, it's difficult. It's a difficult balance to strike. But um, yeah, I think part of the reason why it's so on my mind is because the lane that I'm in now, uh, or known for most now, which is making factual programming, usually speaks to quite important topics and subject matter and things that people really care about. So when you're constantly being pat on the back for your work in a field that you're not an expert in or that you're not the subject of, right? you kind of have to juggle that praise in quite a careful way. Because if someone says to me, oh my God, I loved your documentary on um, homophobia within the black and Asian community and the U- communities in the UK, it's like, okay, that's very kind, thank you. But I didn't really do much outside of ask the right questions. The people that were willing to give, in my humble opinion, at the start of the show, the director that was able to shoot it and create an atmosphere where these people were willing to give is just as important a part as me. And it's all these things that sort of play on my mind uh, when it comes to talking about some of the successes. And you say that that beca- that that kind of mentality, despite what you've just said, clearly having, I suppose, a valid place, you know, in terms of not um, a- allowing space for other people, actually, you have also said, I think you, you said something along the lines of therapy was difficult because it, your kind of mentality carried into that? Uh, no, yeah, difficult is maybe the wrong word. It was uh, almost like uh, sort of shaking off a certain muscle memory. Uh, and that is when someone gives you the forum to talk about the things that you struggle with, you should just be, you know, just let it flow and not sort of be conscious as it were. Um, and I think that, you know, when you go into an environment like therapy, which is a place that I've found myself in for a while now, um, it's very easy to sort of think you can game it when 
conversation is what you've used to pay your bills for the best part of 30 years, you know? So when you're sat down with someone who knows all the tricks and knows when you're hiding behind a joke oh, or pretending to be someone you're not because you don't want to deal with the thing, um, I think it's a really humbling experience. And it's amazing because you learn so much about yourself and also you start to see it in other people um, and you start to see when other people are doing that. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it, I see it as an education and uh, both in terms of self and also in terms of dealing with others and communication as well. How old were you when you first um, won telly? Eight years old. Eight? Yeah. What, was, what were you doing when you were eight? The first thing I did was Desmond's. Um, uh-huh. It's funny actually because weirdly there was a clip of it on TV the other night. Um, now I don't, I don't watch the show but that's another conversation. Um, it was on the Big Nasty show. Uh, and they had Zowie Ashton as a guest. Yeah, we just did Zowie Ashton on the last... Um... Right. Zowie's my co-D. We did our first ever job together. Oh. So they showed a clip of her first job, which was Desmond's, which was happened you? to be a Channel 4 show. And it was her and I who oh, play brother and sister. It. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, we went to primary school together. Like, I've known her for as long as I can. We were in the same drama group. So we started out as well, kids together. Well, actually, we knew that because we told her that you were next and she said to go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I joke! No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, that's dope, man. That's dope. Mm. I mean, dude... To be in the spotlight from eight. I mean, I grew up watching you on Smile. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you were doing Smile? Uh, we started that when I was 18. Don't lie. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> Mate, I was telling you before that Nev's Jam It Up got me in so much trouble. <laughs> yeah. A yeah. lot of people love that game. Bro, it's a wicked game they, online. They yeah. tried to block it in my school, that's but you could so still get funny. onto it because it was a BBC site. So I was just there <laughs> like, boom, boom, smashing it. Anyway, I failed IT. But like, what effect did that have on you? Considering the extent of time that you spent in the limelight, brush shoulders with people who have been overexposed or had public struggles yeah yeah um, constantly pretty much because a lot of people have and being young when you start it's really interesting making friends who are in the business too and seeing how they deal with it you know like there's lots of different moments where I've kind of gone wow um I'm in a really different place to this person or that person and a lot of the time it comes down to in my humble opinion uh either decision making or your circle, you know? Right. I was, so I always get, people always ask me um, about uh, why I don't drink, smoke, take drugs or anything like that. And that's not because I'm holier than now. And that's not because I'm better than anyone or I'm smarter than anyone. It's a combination of things, I think. And the point I'm making is the home that I came from didn't allow me to be anyone outside of the values of that house. So the African cultural part of my upbringing was a huge thing um so much so that when I was a kid and I was on tv my mum would always say to me you can't behave like your friends because you're from this house that was the first thing she'd say and the second thing she'd say is you've got something to lose and it was like oof and she was right because literally if I misbehaved and I don't know if you, it wasn't the case for you because when you started, you were 17, 18. Mm. So you were out of that chaperone age group. So when you're in TV or music or even in a musical on stage in the West End or whatever, yeah, you, got to have your you have to have a chaperone. My mum worked, so she couldn't do it. So we had a chaperone come oh, and look right. after us, right? So there are people who make a living for chaperoning yeah, little kids under 16 year olds. And you can only work a certain amount of hours. Yeah, and those that. hours that are given are signed off by your school. Mm-hmm. And your GP. Like, it's weird. There's yes. lots of things, hoops you have to jump through, right? So I did that for eight years, from eight to 16, having every single job that came in. And I did really well Even as a kid. secondary school? Absolutely. Whoa. So here's the thing. If you misbehaved in school, your head teacher would just say no. Like, I'll never forget, I got, um, I got a McDonald's commercial when I was in school, in secondary school. And my head teacher just said no. 
And he didn't have a reason why, because I was a straight A student in secondary school. Yo. But he just decided he didn't want me to do something because I was just working, working, Power working. Thing. It was crazy. Um, so my mum would always say to me, you've got more to lose than your mates. And she was right, because it wasn't just being grounded and not going to play football. It was, I would literally lose money <laughs> and I would lose an opportunity to build my career. Blimey. So um, that was always in my head from eight to 16, that a teacher who didn't like me or who, who I pissed off could block me from working. You've been sober your whole life, love it. I love it, but do you think actually that must have really held you in good stead to survive what I'd say is almost the, I don't know what it is, that feeling of being exposed to, it's a, that's a big thing to be in the spotlight for so long. That must have really helped you. It's weird, you know, I, to just be able to have I, that stability. It's difficult because I don't want to come across as being very black and white about it, but I have to sort of go back to the beginning to answer that question properly because I've always sort of seen it in a very clear way. Mm. And I think a lot of that comes from the way I came into the business. Yeah. So I started out as a kid and all I've ever known is the parameters in which I came into the business. And that was what I was being told at home, don't fuck up. Yeah. Because if you fuck up, this stops now. And I loved it so much, I didn't want to fuck up. Yeah. And then also the place in which I trained, I say trained in inverting commas, because I never went to a stage school, I never went to performing arts school. I went to a local community drama group called Anna Shear. Anna Shear was £2.50 a lesson. My, my first book that I wrote is dedicated to Anna. It was just a thank for Anna Shear, thank you, because she gave me this career. This is an incredible, <clears throat> incredible woman who uh, was a matriarch for an entire community. And so many of us went through Anna's. It was a cheap theatre that you went to. I paid £2.50 a lesson. And because I was so much of a little prick and so much of a little show off, I got on what they called the casting card quite quickly. And then I went up for auditions. Mm. I went for castings. And then I got work. Yeah. And I've worked consistently since. And I've been incredibly fortunate to work for such a long time. But I couldn't have been more blessed than to have gone through Anna's. Because above the doors at Anna's, was a sign that said there's no such thing as star or fame. Nice. And then on one side of the wall, there was a poster of India and it had Mahatma Gandhi. And the other side was a poster of Africa. And on the other wall, you had Martin Luther King quotes. And from the age of eight, we were drilled to be grateful, Whoa. to understand humility, to look at philosophy, to look at poetry, to understand quotes. And all of these things went in. How did you know you wanted to perform at, at eight? Like, surely there was something that led up to that. Uh, yeah, my dad's a musician and uh, my mum definitely isn't. She isn't creative particularly, but I was, I'd watch Jackie Chan and then I'd get seven or eight kids from the estate to my bedroom. I'd charge them 20p and I'd do Kung Fu lessons. Really? And you didn't know Kung Fu? Didn't know. I'd watch the movie. Mm. I'd do like, I'd have two radios. I'd have my mum's get a blaster from the kitchen, a little But why? That Uncle George did. It's just, I want to get to know, but, no, but like there's a thing out, in me. Let, 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 me, let me get to it, right? right. So what I'd do is I'd have one radio on this side and then I'd have another ghetto blaster on that side and I'd turn up one radio, turn it down, do a link and then turn up the other one, right? To go from song to song. So I was going in between songs and I'd like play radio station yeah. on my own in the room. And my mum off the back of seeing this, knew that I had this energy and needed to do something with it. So in but my why? humble in my humble opinion, right, some people are born with a need to connect, right? And my mum believes that everybody's 
born with a gift and I, I, I agree with her. And some people are born communicators and some people just aren't. Some people fake it, some people learn it, but some people are born with it, right? I'm mm. not saying that I'm a born communicator, but I'm definitely someone who enjoys, um, who enjoys performing, I guess, who enjoys not the spotlight so much because I don't need it. If I'm at dinner with a group of friends, it doesn't have to be about me. I don't need the spotlight. But I definitely get off on that thing that happens in a room when everybody's having a good time. Yeah. So like, I, I, I are you an only child? No, I'm one of seven. Seven. Yeah. There's a lot of us. How many? And I'm not the youngest or eldest. Were you in the middle? Third oldest. So like, when there's all in the same yard. No, no, no. Um, sort of blended, but there's yeah, there's seven of us. Um, so like, when whenever there was a house party or whatever, I would take the mic. And I'd put on a record and I'd introduce it or whatever. Yeah. And that was me from being a kid. And I'd see the reaction I'd get and I'd be like, this is sick. I want to do this more. And it mm. wasn't, it didn't feed something in me, but it did. You know, it didn't yeah, make me, yeah, it didn't make me need and crave attention because I, 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 I've never got off on that. What I've got off on is that weird thing that happens. You know, when everybody's laughing in a room and everybody can feel something happening or if somebody's really emoting in a beautiful way and everybody can feel that thing. Even as a kid, I recognized that that was like a superpower. So that I think is what drove me to wow. do what I did. Very impressive. It's not impressive. <clears throat> it's just... Well, I mean, look, that all that all that imagery and, and almost childish excitement just leads me to ask the next question, which is um, what's the lowest point in your career? Like you were in your worst period of mental well-being, perhaps. It might not be to do with your career, it could be. Yeah, it was when I went through, I went for a breakup. Uh, I was engaged and I had to keep working even though I was at my unhappiest. And that was really tough because I think there's an expectation that you're always going to be okay. Mm. I was talking about this today actually with Bubba, who's on my podcast, my, my, my friend Bubba. And I think when the perception is that you're successful, that you've got it all, You've got a nice wardrobe, you've got a nice car, you've got a nice house. Mm. You're on TV, people see you and they love you. People like your social media posts. Uh, from an outsider looking in, you live a perfect life. Everything goes well. Whatever you do, people say, oh, he's great. I love him to bits. Um, but when you have some sort of personal turmoil, like, you know, I've had issues with my family. I've had issues in relationships and so on and so forth. And this was particularly difficult for me because there's only so much you can say publicly when you're a private person. You right. know? And as a massively private person, if you are in a situation that is private and it becomes public, it's very difficult to navigate that, especially when you're not sp being spoken about in a favorable way. So to have to sort of... Was it made public, this whole situation? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't so know. to be... I'm glad, I'm glad that's what you... I'm glad that's the case. Okay. Um, to be uh, in a situation where you actively have never and will never publicly speak about a personal relationship, let alone a romantic one. Yeah. Um, for that to really be... tough. Yeah, for, for, for that to be shouted about by a lot of people is quite difficult because what do you do? Uh, so battling with that while making quite difficult documentaries about other people's pain was tough. So that was one of uh, the most difficult times I think that I've had to deal with. I try, I try and... I call it walking in love, right? It sounds like a ridiculous notion, but I genuinely walk in love, which is uh, something that I learned from some of the more tough points in my life. And that is that everybody behaves a particular way because of something. People don't just 
Yeah, of course. Don't just do, right? <clears throat> Outside of how you're born and what you're naturally drawn to, right? Some people, kids... hurt people, don't they? Well, there's that. But also, you know, I think that some people <clears throat> have a propensity to... Uh, to communicate really well. Some people are really like from from the womb, they have this ability to make people feel good or make people smile. But at the same time, um, because as I said, I'm a private person. I think when you do have a public profile and you are a private person, it is very difficult to navigate those moments when you just don't want to do it. Mm. And I think if at the core of what you do is transparency, honesty and objectivity, um, it's hard to put yourself on camera or on mic when you're hurting. Yeah, because you know you're gonna, you're, you know you're just gonna be. It's real. gonna come out. And through putting myself through that, by that I mean being on camera through the toughest point, um, I had no choice but to sort swallow of it. no, not even swallow it to heal. Oh right, yeah, and to and to heal oh, that's while what you're making about the walk in love thing. So it's right. like you were utilizing your space to reflect back on the situation, exactly. and also the the, really the, the walk in love thing for me really comes from this idea of trying to understand why people behave the way that they do, um, to see past the anger and see past the frustration, and and understand where it all genuinely comes from. A friend of mine um, and I had a conversation recently about forgiveness pertaining to this exact situation, right? And um, he said to me, he's an amazing guy, an actor. Um, fuck it, I'll say who he is. His name's Nicholas Pinnock. He's mm. one of the nicest men alive. Nicholas, if you're listening to this, I love you, brother. You're an amazing person. Shout out, man, like Nicholas. Shout out to Nicholas Pinnock. He's one of, my, one, of my, one of my good friends and he's like a big brother to me. Uh, Nick dropped a bomb uh, on me in terms of forgiveness and that was that when you're really struggling with somebody's behavior the best way to forgive them is to imagine them as the person they were when what caused their behavior yeah, happened trust me right so in my situation i was instantly transported back to this person as a child mm. and you can't be mad at a kid That's so real right so i forgive the kid because the kid is still alive you know, the kid is still in that person and the kid is the loudest voice in that person's heart and mind. So for me, <clears throat> forgiving that child that didn't grow up is way easier than trying to argue with the adult who I'm faced with. 100%. You know, so uh, to walk in love to me, a huge part of that is forgiveness. Um, I've never got to tell this story on, on the a podcast purely because it's, it's kind of a little bit disconnected. But I just think with you speaking about forgiveness, it's an interesting thing to share with you. Mm. Because uh, it just stayed with me again when I was actually at a really low period of my life, and I was um, during a breakup. I, I ran away to Brazil. I told you that already, mm. and I thought that was really unique. Turns out it's not. Um, <laughs> Were you? If you were wearing dungarees and bandana, <laughs> then you definitely weren't unique. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, my my uncle, very is a very wonderful human being. He's called Gideon, and um, Uncle Gideon. He, he's a he's a documentarian as well. He did he did a he did a. a a, a short piece or a piece in prison um and interviewed a guy who was responsible for like a ridiculous amount of murders and the maddest thing about it was he was so openly happy about killing people like he he was <laughs> like i love seeing someone's head explode in front of me like i love killing people like he just didn't care Man. um <laughs> So they did a thing with him where they took him for it with a shaman and, and, and he did a, uh, an ex I think it was something along the lines of ayahuasca. He did a kind of, um, kind of hallucinogenic. The criminal. <clears throat> this. Transcendental experience. Yeah, the criminal. Um, and 
he came back from this experience, you know, mm. whether and he was completely shifted. But what I think is really interesting is it's not in the way that I preempted because what actually happened was he saw one of his victims, right? And what the victim said to him was, I forgive myself for being killed by you. And apparently after that, he just, he lost all that. He wow. lost all of his power. Because he's in that moment, he realized he was happy to be the bad guy. Mm. There was a power in being the bad guy. Mm. He was taking power away from other people. Yeah. But in that person going, you know what? Yeah, man, I shouldn't have been in front of that gun. He's gone, there's no, no power for him there. And he just totally reformed him. Wow. Forgiveness is, is there's a reason why it's so tough and it, and the payoff is so amazing. It's so powerful. Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned through understanding forgiveness better is that some people have a lot of anger in them that they haven't made peace with yet and they can't shake it and it's down to them to shake it. You can't shake it for them. Oh, no, of course not. And so long as you're support understanding of that and willing to either support them lovingly and emotionally from a distance or being involved in the actual uh, rectifying of that issue... Uh, I think forgiveness is the safest and best thing you can do. Was there was there a moment when when you were like uh uh-uh. uh because you know like I was saying to you on your podcast I I literally had a panic attack yeah I was like oh something's not right here <laughs> was there like a moment like that for you or was it just preempting something No um I I, I I've been really fortunate to have. Uh, mentors around me from quite a young age and I refer to them as bits of dad because mm. uh, I didn't really have my father around uh, and my stepfather and I have never had a good relationship so I wouldn't really count him as an influence on me well, um, is he still your stepfather? yeah he is Yeah, yeah. He's, he's still in my life but we don't really have a relationship um, and as a result of the years I spent with my mother prior to her meeting my stepfather um she gave me this set of tools that helped me identify what a good role model actually was, which I only realized in hindsight was beautiful the way that she would talk about good men and the right kind of man that I need to be around. Right. And as a result of those tools that she gave me, which I only realized later, <clears throat> I chose mentors who were the bits of dad that I needed to sort of grow in a healthy way I feel mm. uh, so like I had someone who would talk to me about finance someone who would talk to me about football someone who would talk to me about girls someone who would really? talk to me about telly and these were all different men bits of dad that were just amazing bits of like the perfect dad I think and um, great are you working on that as a, as it's a, a book it's, oh, it's, really yeah, got it's a, a book I've got to say because that's dope <laughs> you know what I mean I've spoken about it too much now someone's probably going to write no, if don't. they do good luck to listen them. we'll do a version with that because that's a bad boy <laughs> idea yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no but th- th- well you can't because it's your life no one's going to steal that like that's yeah. that's quite a unique experience yeah no for sure some of um, us have been laboured with the same old uh, same old clunky dad <laughs> no, I'm joking sorry <laughs> <laughs> I bet he's going to love that oh he's alright he's alright <laughs> But these bits were uh, really unique in helping form me in, in, in a lot of ways. And one of those bits of dad uh, was a guy who I met in my mid-twenties. I bought a house from him and we became, he's a property developer, and we became super close. He became like a big brother slash dad. Mm. And um, after being friends for about a year, he was like, you ever thought about therapy? And I Is was like, it? oh, why'd you say uh, that? He and he was like, yeah, you should probably speak to someone. I was like, what's wrong? What? I was like, no, nah, you just need to speak to someone. And quite quickly, we sort of 
head on, my therapist and I went in at the time, went into some of the more difficult things that I hadn't quite dealt with yet. And then once we were past that, it was more about maintenance. And um, I say past- You're so good at- not mentioning the things that you hadn't dealt with. It's like almost well, no, like it's no problem. If you, if you want to know, I'll tell you. Yes. I'd love to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I had a, and I say had because it's past tense. I had a difficult relationship with understanding. I had a difficult relationship with father figures. Right. And that's why it kind of isn't, that's why it's in my work a lot. Mm. When I write and direct drama, that's there. I can't get away from it. No, it's I'm just I'm still, that. still, it's still coming out of me in the stuff that I make. Um, it's grief, isn't it? It's about that. It's like a yeah, kinda a void almost. I feel that. I think so. Yeah, I think it was um, uh, to begin with. It was a lot of anger, and then it became uh, a, str- a struggle to actually understand, and then it became forgiveness, uh, and then it became understanding, and now I feel like I'm in a better place with it, and right. I think. A lot of that will come up again when I'm a father myself. Oh my God. You know, I can only imagine what's going to go on in my little pea brain when I've got kids, especially boys. Good Lord. Um, but yeah. there was a lot it's of an that. opportunity that, to, to break a cycle. That's part of, unfortunately, I've sort of realised that so much so that it became a bit of a pressure and then that was something else I had to oh, work really? on. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? Like those fit, yeah, yeah, those a lot. weird games that we play with ourselves where we sort of self-evaluate so much yeah. that we create things that aren't actually there, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, both professionally and with an amazing group of friends and with incredible siblings uh, and through reading really, really good books, I feel like I've done a lot of work um, that has got me from a place of being incredibly guarded and protective to being open, but also uh, understanding what is right to share and what isn't right to give away. We we often talk about music a lot on this because we we uh, we will launched our first music for mental health last year, which was a massively wonderful success. Mm-hmm. I hope you can come to this one this of year. I mean, what's your? I know you made used to make music. I remember mm. listening to it on your MySpace. I remember listening mm. to a song called "Monkeys in the Arctic." Yeah, yeah. And then you had the tribe called Next. I remember I was yeah. into that. Um, but like, what is your relationship with music now? And specifically, are there any artists, songs, albums that like define a part of your life? Maybe you can't listen to anymore. Maybe yeah. music you listen to, you know, in that relationship. Uh, yeah. Uh, so artists that define a part of my life. Um, I'm a London boy and UK Garage and Jungle are a huge part of my formative years. So like being at secondary school and everybody going mad over Jungle Hits, the compilation, because it had all the biggest songs on Pirate on one. I've still got Jungle Hits now and you just play it from, you know, from one song to the next. These are the songs that just define a moment in time when you weren't old enough to go out, but you'd have raves in your headphones in your bedroom as a kid, you know? Like you you just wanted to be there, it was so aspirational. And then Garage came along and it was made by people who weren't your age, but they were closer to you. They were like only three or four years older. Like I remember being in secondary school and Heartless Crew were like 16 and 17. And they were gods to us. We yeah, all wanted yeah, to be Mighty yeah, Mo yeah, or Bushkin. Yeah. No one to be funny. No, just a bit funny. <laughs> but everyone wanted to be Mighty Mo or Bushkin because they were out front holding the mics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Garage is a huge part of, um, of my formative years. But 
there aren't really albums to reflect it when it was at its purest because it was all pirate. Yeah. It was all pirate radio. So those tapes, those Literally classic cassettes, sets, yeah. I still have. Ripping them and off. They're, yeah, they're like... Hi-fi. Exactly. They're super special moments that mm. we keep. But yeah, uh, Slum Village, Fantastic Volume 2, Light Water for Chocolate, the Comet album. I, I can never forget playing. The first time I played a song down the phone to a girl was uh, a song, I think it was... Um, you played a song down the phone to the girl. To, to a girl. girl, yeah. It was off the Common album. It was off like Water for Chocolate. In Why? Been, Did you play it down the phone? Because I was like, this is... Because it was mobile phones, isn't it? You just put the phone to the and speaker. And you just went like, yo, vibes out I was like, I was like, have you heard the new Common album, man? I've been listening to it all week. She's like, no, I heard it. And I was, oh, like, you just I was put, like, check this song out. Oh, I was like, I'm going to play it from the beginning. And I played it to her down the phone. I'll tell you, the I shit entire you not, song? Yeah. I shit you not. I'm not making this up for an anecdote genuinely I put the phone to my ear and I heard the toilet flush and I heard her run back to the room <laughs> <laughs> she was like oh no I just had to go I just really needed to go I Boss, man, to, go to be fair if someone put a whole tune on while I was on the phone to them I'll be doing other things yeah exactly I love that Bless her. I don't think she was into it as much as I am but what's your favourite colour um, I didn't think I had one uh, until I looked into colour theory for this thing that I was writing. Uh-huh. And um, I then realised that my favourite colour, it's not a colour I wear, I don't really own much of it. Um, like pretty much my wardrobe is black, navy and beige because I'm that challenging. Well, I think it that bodes well with the <laughs> idea of not taking up space. <laughs> uh, but green, I really like the colour green. And um, What type of green? Uh, olive is my personal favourite. Olive so green. In terms of the mm. colours that I own, musky. I only, if I, yeah, I only own a musky green. <laughs> yeah, like almost khaki. Yeah, exactly. So oh. I own a lot of that in terms of clothes. Well, I, I own a bit. That's, That's good the only well. kind of green. That's good. Um, but when I looked up colour theory um, for this thing that I wrote, so I wrote this uh, short film uh, and the character I wrote was called Ashley Green. Yeah, wait, are we talking about the one I've seen? Yeah, maybe, I think what, so, outside yeah. outside the news agents and then he yes, goes to the art. Yes, exactly, all right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that, I was writing, I wrote that and then I realised, and then the, the therapist in it, her room was Jessica green. Hines. Jessica Hines played the therapist <sighs> and so Tossin Cole played the, the young, the, the main actor yeah, in it. Yeah, he was dope. He was great. And uh, green kept popping up throughout without realising. And then when I looked into colour theory, I realised that green is the colour of uh, change, transition, Positivity. growth, and so on and so forth and there's so much that comes from and we see more shades of green than any other colour is that a fact? yeah I didn't know that yeah yeah, we see more shades of it because apparently evolutionarily we had to be able to we had to be able to detect predators um, from the grass so so our eyes are accustomed to understanding the different shades wow Going back to um, go back to your life. Yeah. Uh, what do you think's been your best period of mental well-being? Um, I think the periods of growth. Really, there's nothing better than a light bulb moment. Mm. And when you have a moment where epiphany, if you will, absolutely. When you have an epiphany, yeah. it's like the best thing in the world. And I'm really lucky enough to have had several of those over the years. Um, uh, Realizing that it's not about you thing having that moment was a beautiful thing mm. um that was a real light bulb moment for me um realizing that entertainment television wasn't fulfilling anymore and regardless of Is how that, like, much top of the pops and that uh no no it wasn't even top of the pops it was more saturday night tv um doing that and realizing how how shallow i felt in that environment and with those people um made me realize it wasn't really for me um yeah light bulb moments like that 
I think are great. When you make a discovery, it's just the same as being in a therapist chair. When you make a discovery on your own terms, it's a beautiful thing because you're mm. like, oh crap, I've done that. I've realized that and I'm going to be better for it. Those are the moments where I felt the healthiest and the happiest. So if you had an opportunity to, to actually give some advice, encouragement to a truly young person who is yeah. developing what will then be their inner selves. Yeah, yeah. What would that what would that advice be? Be kind to yourself, man. I think love yourself is overused today. Mm-hmm. But it's really important. I um uh, understanding forgiveness has been a huge breakthrough for me and it's recent, which is why I'm really glad I've spoken about it today, you know. Uh understanding the person frozen in time that has caused the behavior that maybe doesn't work with you or with me or whatever understanding that person and forgiving that person has been a really really important tool to me um but in terms of advice to um both my younger self and to young people listening yeah younger than me because i'm cracking on a bit now uh-huh. is um yeah just starting man <laughs> yeah well seriously um is just love yourself yeah and it sounds really blanket and easy but um there's a lot to that you know the idea of knowing that you're enough is a huge thing uh also having the balls to say i don't need anybody else today mm. is a really really beautiful having the thing. balls or having the vagina <laughs> that's the real question having the know. propensity yeah having the, having the <laughs> having the uh, gender fluid privates I get the point saying. that i'm making um to have the courage is about essentially knowing yourself and loving yourself. And I think through loving yourself, you get to know yourself. Yeah. Um, Knowing that you can be okay on your own. And one of the best bits of advice I've had from my uh, more recent therapist and someone who I still speak to now is lean, he calls it leaning into your shadow, like getting to know your shadow. Yeah, for real. And that is, that was a real breakthrough for me recently. This idea of, uh, being celebrated at your best self is something that we all are, right? Mm. When you're on and when you're firing and yeah, you're funny and you're life. fun to be around and, you know, and you've showered and <laughs> like you're, you're your best self. Yeah. Everybody wants to talk about you. Everyone wants to celebrate you. Everybody wants to put you on camera or quote you or write about you. But when you're struggling. Right. I've always been scared of failure. Right, yeah. And I've saying. been scared of... Uh, in the past, I was definitely scared of transparency for fear of appearing weak. Um, uh, and those are all things that have changed in my life and things that I've worked on. I think I'm uh, transparent now. I don't have anything to hide. Obviously, there are certain things I won't talk about publicly because they don't just affect me. Yeah. There are certain names I won't mention because I respect other people's privacy. And also... I need to get better at that. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's that thing of understanding when a story isn't yours to tell. Trust me. You know? So if ever I seem guarded or a bit sort of shaky about how I talk about things, that's the only yeah, reason yeah, yeah. why, because of respect for other people. But that's real. for me, um, it's always been about failure and, and, and fear. Those are the two things. Uh, and getting to the point where you know that failure is actually a, a key and integral part of success was another one of those light bulb moments. Mm. Like, if you don't know what failure tastes like, how do you know what really succeeding actually is? Trust you know? me. And that works in every element of your life from... Uh, professional relationships to romantic you know you have to fail Mm. otherwise you can't identify what success looks like and as someone who has always uh, sort of looked around and drawn inspiration not a blueprint inspiration from the things that I see um, 
it's lovely to have that clarity as to what I should be looking at mm. and what I should be drawing inspiration from. So, um, yeah, I think if ever there was a shadow, it's that. And to answer your question to the younger version of myself and to the young listeners, I'd say get to know your shadow. Be as comfortable with yourself at your worst as you are with you at your best because mm. then you that's are in the driving seat. That's hard. Genuinely, I think if you're able to control how you feel because you know both sides of the coin, no one can determine who you are in any one moment. Just to finish off, even oh, though right. you have based this entire, entire, uh, I feel like the theme, the underlying message is actually your complete em- embracing of the whole truth without actually trying to plug it. Mm. It feels like it really is truth that you have searched for and are feeling currently in a collaboration with, which is fantastic. Yeah, everything else is a waste of time, bruv. Um, but quickly, we have another thing called Whole Hour. Mm. Uh, given an hour to be separate from say the world of technology how would you spend your time uh, reading a book listening to good music I like to walk yes I forced, since um, we spoke about this on, on the podcast actually you know when Apple introduced that screen time thing mm. it made us all very aware of how much mm-hmm. we look at our phones but the thing I really like on there in terms of those stats is when it shows you how many times you pick up your phone yeah on average yeah it made me feel sick really so, what was yours Last time I checked, so on this last week, on average, it was 145 an hour. Really? Times I pick it up, on average. Yeah. It's terrible. That's, that is, that's a lot. It is a lot. But again, I do, it's, it's difficult. I know, but I, do, I don't know. I think, that, don't be too hard on yourself. I think, like, there's, you know, you, you, you're in the business. Well, I was about to give myself a little, um, a little squeeze because I was going to say, I do a lot of my work through my phone. Yeah. So I reply to emails all day. Yeah. And look, weirdly, a lot of business is done on WhatsApp now. So like I'll talk to producers, I'll talk to directors, I'll talk to my podcast team, I'll talk to everybody mm. on that. So I am picking it up a lot, but I, I I want it to be at least half that. All right, thank you, Reggie. You are an inspiration, a legend, and I'm very happy to call you a friend. Speak to you soon. Love, thank you for having me. Love. Thank you, thank you, oh. thank you. <laughs> I got a mouthful of dreadlock. Yo, did you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Powered by Spirit Studios.